Microphone at this time of the morning and say good morning to all of you. Priscilla, where are you at now? Have you guys made it home? I don't think so. Maybe you have. I don't know. Walter, good morning to you. Uh, Don is uh, uh, Don is out for appointments or on his way shortly for appointments at least, so he will not be. Uh, our official greeter this morning. Uh, so you are stuck with me as your official greeter. And I'm trying to make sure and keep up with saying hello to everybody. And if you're listening in the background, uh, I want to uh, encourage you to say good morning. What we have found in our two plus years of doing this almost, let's see, March, March, April, May, June, July, August. Wow. Two years and seven months of doing this, uh, 
approximately. Uh, we have found that saying good morning to each other here uh, during the live part of the broadcast does create a sense of community. So if it is between the hours of 6 and 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, and Today is the 3rd of October, and you happen to be listening. We would love, 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 love to have you say good morning here in the comments, uh, just so we, we know you're there, and it, it gives us the chance to build. Uh, it, we do. We, this is a community. Uh, these folks that uh, I have been saying uh Hello to here this morning, uh, almost every morning, Monday through Friday, say good morning, and um, there is a sense of community. It, it is palpable when we are physically together, the sense of community that this group has. So again, I just encourage you, say hello, say good morning. If you happen to be finding us during that those hours or any other time, make sure that you like uh, the uh veracity facebook page and follow us we would love to have you like us and follow us or if you happen to be over on the youtube side that even there you might uh, uh, subscribe and uh, sign up for the notifications that every time we go live that you would get the notifications um So here we go. We, we have folks saying some extra hellos here. So uh, so I'm saying good morning to Cheryl Cook, the cook. And we're thankful for you down there. And I will try to seek to try to keep up with, with folks that are saying uh, hello to us here this morning while I now transition over to teaching. We're looking at the life of Christ, lessons from the life of Christ, and uh, there are things that will uh, be highlighted that, that you might say, why, why didn't you talk about that or about that or about that? <clears throat> because I'm really looking at the life of Christ, less, less about us and more about him and why is he doing what he's doing and when is he doing what he's doing? Why is he doing what he's doing, where he's doing what he's doing, with whom is he doing it, and uh, things of that nature that we're trying to uh, glean from to understand uh, for us his priority uh, for our lives and what he wants to do in our lives. We are in Mark chapter 1, the conclusion. Again, for those listening in, new and fresh, we use this book called The Harmony of the Gospels, which, which is all Scripture. But as an example for today, it has harmonized, synthesized these Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so you see the three columns there. Uh, those are the three places in those three Gospels that are telling that, that similar story, um, that similar narrative, uh, that background. And so in looking at those uh, uh you, you can find the nuances of difference and the chronological sequence of when things were happening in the life of Christ. And next up, the next thing happening now, we see him cleansing a leper. Uh, he is, uh, verse 39, it tells us this. 
In fact, earlier, just a little review, earlier, you back up, it says early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Uh, I do not think he had a cell phone light. I don't think he had a headlamp. Uh, you know, he, it might have simply just been dark or he took a candle or he took a little torch, maybe something like that. But we know it, while it was morning and just a conviction of the morning hours, a useful time for prayer, especially for those who don't sleep well, maybe utilize that time as a time for prayer. Um, it says he went off to a solitary place. A little lesson for us in this is that maybe you have the same that same solitary place. I'm trying to figure out what that solitary place will be for me as we prepare to move uh, here in the next few months into a, a different house and into our new home. Uh, but but to find that solitary place and for you and I, you know, what hours work for you? Uh, early morning hours work for you to be with God uh, or is it uh, late night hours? We're, we're different. But to make that consistent time to be with, with God, to be with Jesus, to, to be in his word, to be prayerful uh, is, is such a, a helpful thing. So uh, we read about Jesus going out and praying, and he's praying because he has um, very, uh, he has important decisions to make, uh, and he needs power for what he's going to go and do. You and I have decisions that we're going to make, and so what should we do? We should come before God in prayer and, and, and pray for God's guidance. And sometimes it, it may be huge things like moving uh, for a season. Sometimes it might be huge things like, um, like, like Terry moving for a season. Uh, it, it might be huge things like buying a house. It might be huge things like a job change. Uh, it, it might be all kinds of different things like that. Um, and so we, we pray, but then there are more mundane things like, you know, what, what flooring should we pick out or, or you know, what countertop should we pick out? That's kind of where we are uh, at at this point in time, trying to make this decision and uh, knowing what we absolutely would love, but then saying, well, but that's, that's a lot of money. And so praying, just God give us guidance on what, what we choose to do here. So uh, prayerfulness, that early morning prayerfulness. Sometimes it's praying about painful things in our lives. And some of you have some immensely painful things in your lives that, that you bring before God and you come off to that solitary place in the morning where you pray or in the evening where you pray. And, and But just the model that we see here of Jesus as he went off early in the morning while it was still dark, got up, left the place where he prayed. And again, this is kind of rehashed from last week. It says Simon is uh, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. If you back up beyond that and put everything in context, Jesus had just had a phenomenal night of, of healing people and delivering people from demonic spirits and things like that the, the night before. So everyone early in the morning uh, has come out to look for him. I mean, they've come out with breakfast sandwiches or, or with nothing or whatever. They came out looking for him. And so it says uh, Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. And then Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled, now this is where we pick up now. So he traveled throughout the Galilee, 
preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, I know you're saying, I said the Galilee. That's because that is in that part of the world. They don't just say Galilee. They say the Galilee or the region of the Galilee. But they, they I, I've talked to some folks and heard it called the Galilee. In fact, just the other day, and I, I mentioned this before, that I was talking to a guy from that area, and he just happened to mention, well, uh, from Jerusalem, actually, he says, when we go up to, to the Galilee, and I, I picked up on that right away and, and uh, how they say that. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, might, might be how we'd understand it. He was preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, it is, uh, it, it is a uh, situation where preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, he knew the need that people had. Uh, he was preaching in the synagogues, and what was he preaching? I mean, yes, he'd open up the scrolls, perhaps, and and, and use the word of God. We 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 saw that earlier when uh, back in the book of Luke, where he took the scrolls and opened it, it opened to Isaiah, and it talked. Really, it was prophetic about Jesus, and he said, "Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing." He's going out preaching that type of message. He's preaching a message of repentance and faith. He's preaching a message of the coming of the kingdom of God uh, and that people who want to be a part of that kingdom of God will repent because that's the message he sent the disciples out with and will turn to God. Now, yesterday in our Sunday morning service, I, I did go on a little bit of a diatribe about, um, and that's, that's a fancy word for teaching, uh, just about the fact that, that we, we're, we're clashed with culture right now and um and we do, and there are hard things, the challenging things, and many of the positions that the world are taking, which are antithetical to the scriptures. Uh, and I said that there's a line that is drawn, and I don't think we have to be bombastic. We don't have to go on the attack mode, but we have to hold our ground. But the other thing that's true about some of what I had to say yesterday uh, is that some of the things that I talked about yesterday many, many Christians have struggled with those very things in their own lives. And and so let's not pre- pretend that uh, those temptations aren't real. Um, but nonetheless, the message of the gospel is the message of the gospel that calls us to repentance. Uh, it calls us to faith. It calls us to turn and say, yes, God, I agree. You are right. And, and, and that is what the message that we need to bring to bear is, is not, well, just so, let's soften things up a little bit so everybody can be included. Only those who repent will be included. That's the bottom line. And uh, to repent is to turn from our own opinion and be in agreement with what God says on the matter, whatever that matter might be. The The prevailing matter of the day does seem to be, um, and I know there are other matters, but, but one of the prevailing matters is, is it has to do with sexuality, both both sexual acts and sexual attraction, and uh, as well as sexual identity. It is all kind of wrapped up around that. Um, that seems to be the prevailing issue, and, and what some churches are doing is they're trying to maintain you can love Jesus, but he doesn't care about any of that, and that is their message. It's called progressive Christianity, and uh, the fact is that message goes against the heart of the gospel. That message goes against the teaching of Scripture. 
and that message changes the 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 values of Jesus. It changes the priority of Jesus. Uh, it uh, uh, I just noticed a comment there, and I, I'll go talk about that comment in just a moment. Uh, but repentance. The message that he was preaching in their synagogues was one of Messiah has arrived. One of you need to repent. The kingdom of God is here. You need to turn in agreement with God. And, and that's the message that we need to give. And when we give a, a different message, uh, it, it can be deceitful. It, it can be deceitfully comforting. It just just kind of like Jesus. And, and if you like Jesus enough, he'll let you into heaven. That isn't the message that they were told to preach. And so he went preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. I mean, demons are are antithetical to the things of Christ. So driving out demons, and then we're going to see something else that we're going to pick up here in verse 40, but driving out the demons. And we talked about that last week as well. I mean, people look at us like we're crazy when we talk about the demonic world. Jesus, Paul, John, uh, and then we read places in the Old Testament that speak about the demonic the Bible, from, from stem to stem, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, you read it. And then you conclude in, in the book of Revelation. You read the reality of the demonic. It is there, and it, it can have an impact on us, and it has a stronghold in people's lives, and, and such a stronghold that, that uh, the only hope that some of those people have is a deliverance that comes through Jesus Christ. And we send them off to counselors and therapists, and and I'm I'm not opposed to those things. I, I know some pastors really preach down against uh, psychology. I I won't preach it down. However, I will also say that I believe that we live in a day where it is quite suspect uh, because often it doesn't turn us toward God. It, it turns us toward self and a lot of self help things. And some of it is helpful. Uh, I, I believe there's some good diagnostic tools that are there, but but I believe 90% of the time the answer is found uh, in Jesus, if not higher. I mean, always the answer is found in Jesus, but in terms of the particular thing ailing a person, um, counseling is good. It's not bad. Where does the spiritual fit in, into it? That is the question I have. Now, uh, here's a question that, that someone has posed over in the comment section in what I affectionately call the peanut gallery. They're saying uh, just a few days ago, the five red heifers from Texas arrived in Israel. I was looking for the significance of red heifers in Jewish custom. Well, those red heifers, you're talking about the sacrificial uh, sacrifice, sacrificial heifers, uh, the bulls and, and, and the heifers that were sacrificed. Um and that will once again be sacrificed. The significance is that those heifers are, I mean, they're ready to, to rebuild the, um, they're ready to rebuild the temple. Uh, and uh, at the rebuilding of the temple, it will not be long before, uh, it will not be long before uh, the beginning of the tribulational period. So, uh, when when those heifers are there, and I'm told that they already have the temple uh, using modern constructive techniques, I already have the temple ready in panels, 
you know how they they'll build a house uh, inside of a uh, a factory, uh, and there's two different ways. I mean, there, there's the, the prefab where the whole house comes assembled, pulled out. You think of a modular type home, uh, or um, it, the wall panels are put in place and the roof panels are put in, everything is, and it comes on a trailer uh, and then it is assembled on site. All those modular pieces are put together. I am told from what I understand that the temple is, is kind of put together in that type of a way uh, uh, or, or pre-assembled in that type of a way, prefabbed in that type of a way. So, that when the, the decision to rebuild the temple is made within 90 days, I'm told the temple will be uh, erected and ready for worship. Uh, and the, the red the red heifers, I mean, they'll begin sacrificing again when the temple is erected. And some people watch and talk about the red heifers, and yet, you know, we've been watching for two or three years or four years, uh, the, the talk of this. But, but what I will tell you is, we are getting uh, closer and closer and closer uh, to the time of uh, if, if in fact, the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation, we're getting so close if, in fact, the temple uh, panels are ready and if, in fact, the red heifers are for that purpose. I understand that the priests have already been trained. I mean, everything, the stage is set. And I'm answering the question here that Claire asked. The stage is set for the uh, rebuilding of the temple and for the uh, for for Jewish worship at the temple, Jewish sacrifice to resume. It hasn't taken place since seventy A.D. Uh, it's a long time, and they're they're ready to resume. And if that in fact happens, um, if if the theology of some is true, then 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 at any moment the, the church would be raptured out. That would be those of us who are believers in Jesus would be taken out of this world. Uh, or the other theology is that uh, then we know that the, we're right on the cusp of the tribulation to begin, and believers will go through the tribulation, will have difficult decisions to make, like, will I take the mark of the beast so that I can buy and sell goods? Uh and it may not be actually called the mark of the beast, but they will tell you that, look, we're doing away with money. Uh, if you get this label on your hand or on your forehead, barcode, whatever, uh, that is the only means that you will have to buy and sell because we're no longer dealing with money. Now, you think about the world economy and all those types of things uh, and how uh if all the, the various uh, values of the varying types of dollars, yens, pounds, euros, and the world's currencies, uh, if they were all to crash and we were needing to have a new world economic system, what better thing than, than this type of tool? And so we can, this is why some people, uh, who are tuned in a little bit to the prophetic, watch these things. The red heifer, the temple, the training of the priest, what's happening economically and how uh, how does uh, how does that affect us? And, and so we, we look at those things. I hope that that kind of answered the question. That's not really dealing in the text that we're in, but I have told people I welcome questions. Don't be afraid to put a question in the comments. Now, uh, honestly, if you leave a question, uh, 
beyond the live broadcast hour. I'm probably not going to see that and be able to respond to that. Uh, if you have a burning question, message me, Jim Culbertson. Uh, just message me directly, and uh, and I'll try to get back with that question if I can. So let's get back to the text and see what was taking place here over in Mark. The next thing. So after it says he was preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons, it says a man with leprosy came and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as the result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the pe people still came to him from everywhere. The fact of the matter that, that Jesus uh, couldn't just go wherever he wanted to go to be able to uh, proclaim the message uh, because um, because this leper and others began telling the message about Jesus, and he did not have the the freedom. He did not have the prerogative to to be able to go anywhere. Uh, without people following him. And, and it says this, uh, he went out into lonely places, verse 45, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So, I mean, there were crowds clamoring for him coming every which way. Now, what we like to do with this passage sometimes is say, look, he, he healed this leper uh, and that Jesus will always heal you. I think that's a dangerous reading of what we see here because there were people that walked that Jesus walked past. Uh, there were people that he didn't heal. There were people who, who, who came to Jesus uh, for the cleansing or came to Jesus for the healing. But sometimes I, I think that we, we mistakenly think that Jesus will always heal. Um, not always the case. Sometimes we're going to go through the fight. Sometimes we're going to go through the battle. Sometimes we're going to um, have to endure chemotherapy uh, or radiation or surgeries or things of that nature. And, and in the midst of those things, uh, and I was in visiting our, our dear brother Todd yesterday and his beautiful wife and beautiful daughter Anna, Wendy and I had did some visiting yesterday afternoon, and... Uh, what they're going through. And he said, my, my biggest burden is, is to not miss the opportunity that, that this cancer affords to be able to communicate Christ uh, to people. And uh, whether it's people in the medical community or people that uh, in, in within this community uh, here near where we all live, uh, but, but to not miss the opportunity. Now, certainly we, we pray for healing. That's our desire humanly uh, but uh, so far, uh, I mean, as we've prayed that, that 
uh, miraculous healing would take place that has not been what God has done. Uh, and some some people might teach, well, this is some punishment. I, I don't think so. Uh, God, this is something that God is using. God will use uh, that. God will use to take uh, that particular family deeper in their faith, in their trust in God, and their love for one another, uh, as well as in the opportunities to communicate Christ. So, uh, when we read a solitary passage like what we're looking at here in Mark chapter one, verses forty through forty-five. I just want to caution us that, that Jesus isn't always going to heal. Uh, and, and again, there were people that he walked right past. In fact, some people, will, and we'll read about this later on, had to actually come and pursue Jesus to seek Jesus out. One lady who had this uh, problem of, of nonstop bleeding for, I think, 38 years um, actually touched his cloak, and he he turned around and said, uh, who touched me? Because he knew that power had gone out from him uh, I mean, she had to. He he hadn't stopped and said, "I know that you have this issue, and I'm going to heal you right now." She took hold of Jesus, and the lesson for us is that we would learn to take hold of Jesus in our illnesses, uh, and to look to Him. That we would learn to take hold of Jesus in our financial setbacks. That we would learn to take hold of Jesus in our relational rifts that we would just learn to take hold of Jesus. This man came to Jesus. He begged on his knees, and he said, if you were willing, make me clean. And notice the response of Jesus, and the lesson for us is, is, is the response of compassion. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Now, he's doing this in front of people. Uh, he's doing this uh, because the, the leper has pleaded with him. He's doing this to substantiate the reality of the message that he himself has brought. And it says in verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once and he said, see that you don't tell this to anyone. But, and I'm going to fill in a few blanks here, but, uh, but as is the Jewish custom, uh, as it is written in the law, go, because there were things written in Jewish law about what lepers were supposed to do, but go show yourself to the priest, offer sacrifices that Moses commanded, and this you, you see it right here, Moses commanded these things for your cleansing and as a testimony to them. I mean, making the sacrifice, saying, hey, I've been made clean, uh, and, and I no longer have leprosy, and that's the testimony that he's talking about, but instead... He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news about how Jesus had touched him. And it says, as a result, uh, Jesus can no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lowly places. Sometimes we go, well, why would Jesus tell him to not be talking to people about this situation? And the reason that Jesus is doing this is he knew that the moment the word got out, and he knew exactly what was going to happen anyway, but the moment that the word got out, um, he was going to have to go out into the lonely places and the crowds are going to assemble. And, and what they were going to want from him was not going to be eternal truth. What they're going to want from him was not going to be uh, the, the truth of repentance and salvation. What they were going to want from him is their own healings uh, and their own, for God, and even as Jesus will go on later and will provide bread for multitudes and things like that, 
I always put it this way. They weren't interested in Jesus for Jesus. They were interested in Jesus for what Jesus could do for them only. Uh, and uh, at one point, Jesus will say to them, and we'll, we'll read this in John chapter 6, uh, unless you're about my character and priorities, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing that. I, I will save the actual words for when we get to John chapter 6. But unless you're about my character and priorities, you have no part with me. And in John chapter 6, we will see many people stop following Jesus because he threw, he drew the line in the sand. And um, and so some people will stop following Jesus. And what we tend to want to do in our day is let's get people to follow Jesus at any cost. And now are they really following Jesus or, or are they following their own version of Jesus? He did heal the man. We know in the life of Jesus, the compassion. And friends, for you and I to uh, for you and I to um, be looking for Jesus' compassion, or for you and I to be demonstrating Jesus' compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Now I I, I do want to come back over. I'm looking at uh, uh, a few of the comments that are over in the the comment section. And just want to talk about those for just a moment. The battle is the Lord's. He always wins. Absolutely. I, I totally couldn't agree more with that statement. Therefore, we as children always win. Our, our limitation is that sometimes we always largely or maybe not always, but often largely only look to the physical side of things and uh, not understanding that there are sometimes deeper spiritual things or spiritual things that the Lord is wanting to do in our lives, wanting to help us know him at a more intimate level. And so sometimes he leads us through these types of things, um, through these through cancers uh, or, uh, or through hardship. And we learn to trust him more through those things. So so we look at the physical, but the Lord is often looking beyond the physical and looking to the spiritual, looking to our relational development with him. Uh, and therefore, sometimes he, he allows this type of suffering and, and, and what God does through suffering. Uh, and our dear brother Bing saying, to be healed, you need to genuinely believe. And, and, and I don't disagree with that statement, at all. I mean, yes, there needs to be genuine belief. Uh, however, the other side of that is you can genuine, genuinely believe uh, and be a person of God, be a man of God, be a woman of God, and God might still say no because there's other things I'm wanting to do, uh, do in your life or do through your life through this uh, through this platform, through this challenge, through this difficulty, uh, through which you're going. And uh, I mean, right around us in this last year to see some of the folks that have uh, experienced immense suffering and uh, folks that, that I am absolutely convinced of their faith. I'm absolutely convinced of their salvation. I'm actually absolutely convinced of it. And some of you know these people absolutely convinced of, of, of their standing with the Lord uh, and that they certainly are trusting, but God's answer for them, right, for one was no, I'm not going to heal you. Uh, for another right now, it's no, I'm not healing you yet. Um, we continue to pray for them. 
but we also need to see some of the more significant things that God might be doing in the face of the suffering. I mean, God allowed uh, suffering in Job. Uh, and you think of the book of Job and what we read and all that Job went through because God said Job is a righteous man. Uh, Job is a man who will, you know, he, he will end up praising me. And yet uh, when Satan asked God, could I uh, do tempting things in in Job's life, God said, have Adam. <laughs> Thanks, God. But God knew that Job would stand and his faith would stand. And so, but yes, we, we need to come before the Lord in belief. We need to come before the Lord in prayer. We need to anoint people with oil. I, I, I believe we need to do all those things. Um, but most of us in this group have been around the block enough times to know that uh, God is not always going to say yes to those prayers because God has other purposes that sometimes we don't understand. Why did Jesus do this for this leper? Well, he had compassion on him. It was personal. He personally cared for this leper. That is true from the passage. Uh, but he also knew that uh, these miracles were going to catapult him uh, out into limelight. You know, it's like, you know, when things go viral, I guess that there was some fight between a couple cheer, between a cheerleader and a, and a, uh, a spectator and it went viral. I, I didn't happen to look at how many people looked at that little Twitter. Uh, it's in the news this morning and this, <laughs> this woman slapped a cheerleader and the cheerleader hauled off and belted her and it got into a brawl. It went viral. Well, why am I talking about this cheerleader in a situation? And I don't know what football game that that was at. But in the same way, Jesus beginning to heal people would cause his reputation to begin to go viral. And they didn't have their Twitter accounts, and they didn't have their Facebook accounts, and Instagram, and TikTok, and Snapchat, and any of those things. It just was the word of mouth, and it spread quickly, and more and more and more people came out to him. It said in verse 45, yet people still came to him from everywhere. Friends, I, I would want to encourage us that we would make that our prayer. The, our, the, our prayer lives and the work of God among us in our church or in your church in Dallas, Texas, uh, or in your church in Reedville, Virginia, or your church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or your church in Nairobi, Kenya, or your church in the Philippines, wherever your church might be. Our, our prayer ought to be that, that God's work would be so great among us that people would come from everywhere. Sometimes there's this reputation the church has that can be kind of negative. And, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday and the negative rest testimony that, that a church or churches in general have with some, and sometimes rightfully so, we've brought it on ourselves, but that the work of God would become so great among us that people would be thronging to want to see what the deal is and would be want, thronging, wanting to, to understand and that we can tell them about Jesus. Well, Jesus healed this man. This is certain. He showed compassion. That's a lesson that we have, the compassionate response of Jesus to people and, and that we would be compassionate. There are people who are maybe, quote, I'm going to put this in quotes, maybe lesser uh, 
economic situations than are we or lesser household situations than are we or lesser clothing situations or whatever standard you might use to evaluate somebody, but that we would learn like Jesus to, to be willing to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable, uh, and to give them the gospel that will change their lives. Lord, help us to live that way. Help us to serve that way. Lord, for those who are suffering with illness or suffering with things in their lives, we bring the suffering, we bring the illness, we bring the difficulty, we bring the challenge to you because that's what you want us to do. And we trust you with with these things. Lord, for those that are battling cancer right now, Lord, it would be our prayer that you would that you would miraculously heal and miraculously deliver. You can do that, absolutely can do that. But Lord, even beyond that, the deeper things that you're wanting to do, the eternal things that you're wanting to do, help us to walk together with you in those deeper, those eternal, those spiritual things. All for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, uh, I want to wish you an absolutely phenomenal day today, and uh, I will see you again tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.